Hey, my name is Sam, and welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. We're glad you're with us today. Hey, Love Chapel Hill. Um, I'm Ariel, if we haven't yet met, and just wanted to thank everyone so much for joining us today. Um, especially if you're new, we would love to hear from you, uh, get the chance to virtually meet you, and give you a place to ask any and all questions that are on your heart right now. For that reason, we have um, our virtual connect card, which is linked to the post that you found this video at, whether that's on Facebook or YouTube. And um, yeah, just give it a click if you'd like to start a conversation with us about, you know, anything and everything. Um, and this is also a place for everyone to kind of let us know what God has been up to in your life and how he's been walking with you lately throughout all of this virtual interaction. Um, we so love that you chose to be with us today and can't wait to talk to you. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. My name is Brooke and I am here to tell you about an exciting new connections opportunity that we are doing. And that is a watch party on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So one of the things that I have really been missing is seeing everybody's face on Sunday mornings in the varsity. And so I wanted to kind of create that environment while we are still socially distanced. So I will be hosting watch parties on Sundays at 10 a.m. You'll just come into the Zoom room. We'll be watching the sermon together. And then afterwards, we can just talk. We can take prayer requests, whatever you all want to do. But just a way to say, hey, and, you know, see people on Sunday mornings um, because I've been really missing that connection. So I really hope that this is something that you are interested in and would like to join me in. And I am so excited to see everyone's faces on Sunday mornings. Hi, Love Chapel Hill family. My name is Rachel Walmer. I have the privilege of helping out with our children's ministry, Quest Kids, and want to invite your kids to join us. Whether your family has been coming to Love Chapel Hill for many years, or you've recently started attending, we'd love to have your kids come hang out with us, learn more about Jesus, and play games at Quest Kids on Sunday mornings. We have a fantastic group of kids and a great team of volunteers. At the moment, we are meeting virtually on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can't ask for better timing because while your kids are having a blast at Quest Kids, you're free to join the watch party. You can find more information on our church website, or you can email questkids at lovechapelhill.com. We look forward to having your kids join us. Like a rushing wind, would you breathe within my heart? heart. And through the raging storm, would you hold me in your arms? I need you How I need you I need your love like I need water I need your love like I need breath 
inside of my lungs burning my heart just like a fire come and take me over Jesus draw me
Hey, Love Chapel Hill. I want to start off today with four uh, good news announcements. Number one, baptism. Uh, we have one of our friends who is getting baptized this week, who is making that step of, of proclaiming publicly uh, that she is a follower of Jesus, that she is buried with Jesus in his death and raised up with him in his life, resurrection life. And uh, we're so excited to celebrate that with her. And we want to encourage you, if you are ready to take that step, um, then we want to walk with you through that. We want to celebrate that with you as well. So if you want to be baptized and make that public declaration that you're a follower of Jesus, then reach out to us. Uh, the weather is warm. Morgan Creek is ready. Let's celebrate that together. Uh, number two, regathering. So uh, over this next week, we're having some of our final uh, meetings where we're pulling together the final details for what regathering is going to look like. Uh, so look for that information soon. We're really excited to be able to be back together again in that way. Uh, we're going to start off by meeting outside together. And of course, we will keep uh, safety protocols in place. And we want to let you know that if you aren't prepared for that and you aren't feeling comfortable uh, with meeting in person yet, uh, then we are dedicated to being creative, to find ways to make sure that everyone is still able to participate together and that we're all going to stay connected together uh, as we move into this next step of regathering. And then number three, uh, vaccinations. So the state of North Carolina has now opened up vaccinations uh, for all adults. And so if you've been waiting your turn, uh, your turn is now. If you need help uh, figuring out getting an appointment set up or getting transportation to an appointment, then please reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, we want to support you in that and be behind you in that and help make that happen for you. That's another way for us to love each other uh, and to love the community around us as well. And number four, uh, the fourth good news announcement for today is it's still Easter. Uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Last week we celebrated Easter Sunday and that day that marks um, the resurrection of Jesus and how the whole world has been turned upside down by that new reality of the resurrection of Jesus. But Easter does not end when Easter Sunday is over. Historically, in the church calendar, Christians around the world continue to celebrate the aftermath of Easter and the reality of Easter in this church season known as Easter Tide. And so that's where we are together. And over the next 50 days, it's between Easter Sunday uh, and Pentecost Sunday, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost, which celebrates when the Holy Spirit is poured out on those first believers and the church is born and unleashed into the world. And so over these next 50 days together, we're going to be celebrating Easter tide and continuing to live in that hope that Jesus Christ is alive and that changes everything for us. This week I came across a quote um, 
celebrating the resurrection uh, and the power of the resurrection uh, by Howard Thurman. Uh, We've talked about him before, a scholar and a theologian uh, who was friends with uh, Martin Luther King Sr. and then became a professor and mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. and many of the preachers that were at the forefront of the American civil rights movement. Uh, And this powerful, brilliant African-American theologian and scholar uh, became um, influential in shaping the gospel-rooted philosophy of the civil rights movement. I came across this quote where he's describing the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And he says that the resurrection of Jesus is this discovery that life is bottomed by the glad surprise that life is bottomed by the glad surprise, that at the root of it all, at the base of it all, when you think the entire world has collapsed and fallen apart and has hit rock bottom, when you hit rock bottom, you recognize that you are colliding with the glad surprise that it is not over because of the resurrection of Jesus. There's another author, uh, Frederick Bigner who says that the resurrection reminds us and teaches us that the worst thing is not the last thing. The worst thing is not the last thing. And then one of my favorite authors of all, of all time, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, he invented a word to try to describe the power of the resurrection. And he invents this word, catastrophe. He puts uh, the prefix uh, EU, the, the, the Greek prefix, prefix that means good uh, in front of that. catastrophe, the good catastrophe. And this realization that the resurrection of Jesus shows us that even though the whole world seems to be falling apart around us, God can bring new life, even out of the worst tragedy we could possibly imagine. Is there any tragedy worse than the tragedy of God himself in flesh and blood being betrayed, being crucified, put to death and buried in a grave? Is there anything worse that we can imagine than that? And yet out of that, that low point, the darkest moment in all of human history explodes this hope that all things can be made new because Jesus Christ has conquered sin through the cross and has conquered even death through the resurrection. Tolkien then puts these words in the, in the mouth of his uh, different characters, trying to capture this in the stories that he's writing. So uh, in Gandalf, he puts the, the words of, I have returned to you now at the turn of the tide in the sense of this whole new beginning. Uh, In the mouth of Frodo, he puts these words, uh, is everything sad coming untrue? Can this be real that all all of the sadness is coming untrue? And then probably my favorite way that he phrases this is in the character of Samwise the Brave, who says to his friend Frodo, he says, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Dark and full of danger they were. And you almost didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was after so much bad has happened? And yet in the end, you realize that darkness is just a passing shadow, that even darkness must pass 
And as the sun shines out again, it shines out the clearer. That is so beautiful to me and so inspiring to me. And probably the best way it's ever been put by anyone. I know I'm quoting all these different authors that I love today. But the way that it's been been put best out of anybody, out of all the theologians, out of all of the brilliant authors who tried to write it down with their pen, probably the best way it's ever been said is just the simple way that across the world, Christians have shared this news with each other over and over again through the centuries. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You and I are living in that reality. And as a church family, we're going to keep walking through that together uh, through this season of Easter tide. In the season of Lent that led up to this, and in the darkness of Lent, we walked through the stories of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew that lead us up to that turning point, the pivot point of all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus. In Eastertide, we're going to stay in the Gospel of Matthew, but we're going to read backwards, so to speak. Uh, we're going to look back at the teachings of Jesus. So as we're moving, as we were moving through the storyline in Lent, as we saw the plot continue to build and build and build, um, we were following those story points. But now we're going to look back at some of the teachings that we didn't get to spend time on. And as we look back and as we read backwards, uh, we're going to look through this lens, this double lens that's that's uh, formed by the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to read those teachings through that lens. We're going to start today in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Hear these words of Jesus spoken to you and spoken over you today. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So as we walk through this teaching of Jesus together, we're just going to take this line by line today. Uh, we're going to start with the way Jesus starts here uh, with this simple invitation. Come to me. Come to me. We have to recognize that this is the heartbeat of all of Christianity, that Christianity at its root and at its foundation is not simply uh, a collection of a theological system, uh, of a set of beliefs or a religious framework for how to think and live in the world. It is so much more than that. And at its root, it is an invitation into a relationship with a person. All of Christianity centers around that. It's a relationship with this person, Jesus. Uh, the very first disciples that Jesus calls to follow him he says these words, come, follow me, walk with me, share my life, go where I go, practice the way that I am laying out for you. Uh, and that invitation is still the same. It has not changed from the very first believers, the very first disciples that Jesus calls. That is still the heartbeat of Christianity today. It's an invitation to walk with Jesus, to follow him and to practice the way of Jesus, to live in a dynamic, vibrant relationship with 
him. Going from there, Jesus says, come to me. And then he says, all who are weary and burdened. All throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see how Jesus is consistently going to the margins, going to the people who've been pushed out to the edges of society, and he's taking the good news to them, and the kingdom of God is taking root on the edges and the margins of society, which puts that at the center of the whole story. And Jesus is still saying that today to us. All who are weary and burdened, come to me and find rest. This is not just for the people who have figured this out and who have it all together. It's for the people who are broken down and things are falling apart all around you. Jesus is inviting you into relationship with him to find rest with him. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is where we're going to now move into a deeper dive here uh, because with this image of a yoke, uh, we bump into a paradoxical image here uh, because Jesus connects the image of yoke with an invitation to rest. The yoke with an invitation to rest. And on the surface, uh, that's difficult for us to understand and get our minds around uh, because we think about this symbol of a yoke. Um, in your minds, probably even just with that word being said, uh, you're imagining uh, these two oxen who are yoked together, who are pulling a plow behind them uh, and who are at work. And so why would this image of um, these animals at work, why would that be related to an invitation to rest? It seems strange for us on the surface, but we have to, once again, dig into the context of the day and the time and the culture in which Jesus is living and speaking these words. And that enlightens us and gives us more insight into what he means here. Uh, in that day and time, the yoke was a common image uh, in, the, in the Jewish context and the Jewish mind. And it's related to several different things. Uh, for one, a rabbi um, who would give their interpretation of the scriptures, uh, their teachings that interpreted the law, the commandments, the scriptures of God. Uh, that rabbi's teaching would be, would be referred to as that rabbi's yoke. And so an invitation to follow a rabbi was an invitation to take their yoke upon you, to take their teachings upon you, uh, and to live in submission to those teachings on the Torah, on the scriptures, the word of God. Come and learn from me, Jesus says here. You can hear that echoed. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Become my student. Take this teaching on you and this way of living. Um, also in, in this culture, it wasn't just a rabbi's particular interpretation of scripture, uh, but the Torah as a whole, um, the word of God as a whole, the scriptures and the wisdom and the commandments of God were referred to as the yoke of the Torah. And again, it's this sense of living in submission to the commandments, um, of being bound to God. Um, of being tied to him, of carrying his word and living under the authority of his teachings and his commandments and his words. 
But still, even when we think about it in terms of that, even though it was commonly used like that, still in our minds, uh, it's probably c- connecting to this sense of work and this sense of a burden that is being carried. But we have to realize that originally the image of the Torah and of the law and of the commandments of God were not originally seen as a burden. They were not seen as bondage, but they were seen instead as freedom. Why do we say that? Because we remember that the law is given to God's people at what point in their story? It's given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And where are they in their storyline at that point? They have just come out of generations, hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. So this is a group of people that is receiving the Torah, the word, the law, the commands of God that they will refer to as the yoke of the Torah, a group of people who have just been brought out of slavery. They have seen God shatter the yoke of slavery and oppression off of their shoulders under the weight of the Egyptian empire. And in place of that, he has given them the gift of his law and of his commandments, a yoke that they are to wear in order to be bound to God and bound to each other. So Mount Sinai is a symbol of freedom in the minds of the people. The law of God is a symbol of freedom in the minds of the people. The yoke of slavery has been shattered and now a yoke of freedom has been given to them in its place. They're bound to God. They're bound to each other in this uh, act of cultivating a covenant community and showing the world what it looks like to be God's people in God's world, a framework to live as God's people in God's world. So you can see now how the yoke could be a symbol of freedom instead of this symbol of work, a symbol of rest instead of this weight of bondage. It's connected to the commandments, it's connected to the scriptures and the, and the word of God. And we know that in the person of Jesus, all of those commandments have now been fulfilled. They come to fulfillment and fruition in the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is all fulfilled in him. And now Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Walk with me. I am gentle and humble and humble in heart. Walk with me and you will find rest for your souls. So uh, the word yoke, as we've just walked through, is is loaded down in the Jewish context uh, with so much meaning. But the word rest is loaded down with meaning as well. Uh, As we look back through the Torah and the commandments and the scripture, um, a, a significant piece of that would have been the Sabbath. And Sabbath is a word that simply means rest. It's this gift that God gives to his people. He writes it into the law. He writes it into his covenant with them. It's found there in the Ten Commandments uh, and this uh, command to uh, keep the Sabbath holy, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Uh, It's a part of their peculiar identity as God's people that 
Every week, the seventh day of the week is set aside as a holy day. It's set aside as a day of rest. So think about the, um, the scriptural echoes in this. Uh, think back through the uh, Hebrew Bible, through the Old Testament, uh, and where we see this coming into play and why the Sabbath is so important to the Jewish people. Um, for one, it's tied up in the Genesis narrative, in the origin story of all of humanity. Uh, the Genesis narrative tells us that God creates for six days, and then on the seventh day, God rests. So God models what the Sabbath looks like. He models this uh, practice of rest and this rhythm of rest, and he ingrains that in our hearts and in our souls as humanity. He shows us what that looks like. And yet it's not just in the creation narrative and in the story we find there in Genesis. It's also important and significant in the story of the Exodus as well. Again, as God gives his law to his people on Mount Sinai, uh, part of that, part of the Ten Commandments written there into the Ten Commandments, uh, this command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That one day out of every week, they will pause. They will rest. They will stop their work and they will rest and they will remember that everything that they have comes from God. It's this reorienting moment in their week set in the rhythm. Every seventh day, they rest to remember their story, to remember who they are, to remember how God set them free from slavery in Egypt. And they are no longer slaves. They no longer have to work seven days a week. No longer is all of their worth tied up in what they can produce as a people until their bodies finally break down and they're buried in the sand of Egypt. Instead, now they are marked as God's peculiar people in the world. And every seventh day, they pause to remember their history and to remember that their identity is in God. They are God's people and their worth is found in him. So they're to rest. And it's not just the adults uh, who rest. Also, the children uh, are commanded to rest and even the livestock are commanded to rest on the Sabbath. Everything pauses and it's this reorientation moment. It's this gracious gift of rest. And so when you hear rest mentioned in the scripture, let that picture of Sabbath come to mind and what God had given to his people. And yet by the time of Jesus, by the time we get to uh, this part in the story of the people of Israel, this Sabbath day that had been given as this gracious gift of rest had become this exhausting burden for the people. It had actually become somehow an oppressive yoke of bondage again. The Pharisees, as we've talked about frequently, uh, were the experts in the law. Uh, they were the uh, champions of obedience, their zeal for God's word, their desire to be faithful to God's word uh, led them uh, to construct these rules around the law to protect themselves and the rest of God's people from ever breaking any of God's law. Part of their thought process was that they believed 
that the Messiah would not come until God's people were ready. And so they were committed to making the people ready, to living in obedience to God's law. And so what they did was they would take uh, God's law. And if this if this uh, rectangle here represents God's law, uh, to make sure that nobody crossed this line, to make sure that no one accidentally broke one of the commandments. In order to be safe, uh, they built this fence basically around the law and they built and constructed these uh, this elaborate set of rules for the people to follow to make sure they didn't even come close to breaking the commandment. So if the commandment says, keep the Sabbath day holy and rest on the Sabbath, no work on the Sabbath, then they built this fence around it to say, okay, what does work mean? We want to make sure no one accidentally uh, does work and then breaks the law. And so they went to all of this effort to define what work might mean. How far are you allowed to walk on a Sabbath day before it becomes work? Um, how much are you allowed to carry on your back or carry in your arms uh, on the Sabbath day uh, until it becomes work? And so they developed this elaborate set of rules around the law, building a fence and building a wall around God's law to try to keep the people safe, to try to make sure that the law was never broken. They built a fence and a wall around the law. And what they ended up doing is taking a yoke that was designed for freedom and turning it back into a yoke of bondage. The Sabbath was given to a group of people who had just come out of generations of slavery. It was designed for freedom and they turned it back into a yoke of bondage. What does this have to do with what Jesus is saying here in chapter 11? Well, everything, because in the very next chapter, in the very next paragraph, the very next passage, the next sentence, we get two stories in which the Pharisees confront Jesus, claiming that he has broken the law of the Sabbath, disrespecting God's Law. The first is Jesus and his disciples are walking through uh, these grains of field and the, uh, these a these, uh, grain field and Jesus' disciples are hungry. So they break off some heads of grain to eat it. And the Pharisees accuse Jesus and the disciples of harvesting on the Sabbath, of doing work on the Sabbath. Then in the very next moment, uh, it says that Jesus goes to the synagogue and there in the synagogue, was a man whose hand was shriveled up and Jesus goes to the man and the people ask Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or would that be considered breaking the Sabbath law? They're trying to trap Jesus. The Pharisees are trapping Jesus with this statement. And Jesus says, if a sheep falls in a hole on the Sabbath day, shouldn't you pull it out? Shouldn't you do good? It is not unlawful to do good on the Sabbath. And if you should treat your sheep with that kind of compassion, then how much more should you treat your brothers and sisters, humans who are created in the image of God? And in his compassion, Jesus reaches out and he heals the man and the man's hand is healed. 
the Pharisees see this moment and they accuse Jesus of working on the Sabbath and therefore breaking the Sabbath law. They are obsessed with building walls while Jesus is busy building wells. They are obsessed with building fences around the law of God to keep people at a safe distance from it while Jesus is drilling down into the dead center depths and heart of what the law has always been about. The Pharisees are building fences, but the carpenter's son, Jesus, is dismantling those fences and using the pieces, repurposing the material to build bridges into the lives of people. They are building up fences and barriers and walls, and Jesus is taking them down and using those scraps to construct a table and to welcome all of us into relationship with him, leaving a place at the table for us and inviting us into true and deep rest, the kind of rest that only comes through Jesus. And as a side note, uh, as a carpenter's son, it's quite possible that Jesus had learned uh, while in his uh, father's workshop, had probably learned how to fashion the kind of yoke that would fit well. He's offering that to us. It's not a yoke of bondage. It's a yoke of freedom. It's a yoke that binds us to him and to each other. And in that, we find the depths of dynamic relationship that is available through Jesus. The season of Eastertide reminds us that Jesus has inaugurated a new reality. And the one who was crucified on Friday, which was the sixth day of the week, was in the grave on Saturday, the seventh day of the week. In other words, after that Friday, when he announces it is finished on the cross, he rests in his work on the Sabbath. But on the first day of the new week, he unleashes a new world. And it's the beginning of the new creation as the resurrected Jesus explodes out of the tomb. He has accomplished a new exodus, breaking the yoke of bondage and of slavery and of oppression of sin and instituting an eternal Sabbath, an invitation to find rest in him. Jesus is the Jubilee and he is still preaching the good news to the poor, still preaching freedom to the captive, still preaching liberation for the oppressed and healing for the broken. And of course, he is still saying to us, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and you will find rest. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Again, we find another paradox there. How are the teachings of Jesus? How is the yoke of Jesus? How is the life of Jesus easy and light? Are the teachings of Jesus easy? No, not at all. Are the teachings of Jesus hard? No. The teachings of Jesus are worse than hard. They are impossible. Apart 
from the transforming grace of Jesus, reshaping us into this reborn life in him, apart from the empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit, the Christian way of life is impossible. It can only be accomplished through Jesus. But the good news is this, that he has accomplished for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because he has already carried the weight. We are bound to him in this yoke. We are bound to each other through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the weight of it all rests on his shoulders. And because of that, you and I can step into the promise of rest that comes through the power of the resurrection. What's your weight? What's your burden? What are you carrying that is too much for you? Uh, the poet Eugene Peterson took these words of Jesus here in this passage. And he said, Jesus gives us this invitation into the unforced rhythms of grace. Does that sound refreshing to you because of where you are right now? Do you feel like the weight is too much? Name what that is. Pause even right now and, and name what that is and be honest about the burden that you feel under. And to be just a, a complete confession here, I'm at a loss as to what to challenge you to do next, of how to turn that over to him, of how to trade that burden for the yoke that he is offering. So here's the only thing I've got. I want to challenge you to do this. I want to challenge you to meditate on these words from Jesus, to take him at his word and to say, Jesus, I want to take this yoke of your teaching on myself. I want to learn from you. I want you who are gentle and humble in heart to show me what it means to find rest for my soul. I want to know what it means to experience the, the yoke that is easy and the burden that is light, to know what it means to feel you carrying that weight for me. So I want to challenge you to take this passage, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And over the course of the week, go through this every day. Let it run through your mind every day until it sinks down into your heart and works its way out into all of who you are. And ask him to teach you what that looks like.
great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy just so grateful for you for joining with us in worship today and for being a part of this church community and I am looking forward to when we will regather and worship together again which is much sooner than it used to be um so yeah 
And I just want to encourage you to continue to please reach out to us if you have needs, um, prayer or otherwise, um, we want to serve you. Today, as we close out, I would like to just close us with uh, Eastertide prayer. So if you will join me in this. Risen Christ, when darkness overwhelms us, may your dawn beckon. When fear paralyzes us, may your touch release us. When grief torments us, may your peace enfold us. When memories haunt us, may your presence heal us. When justice fails us, may your anger ignite us. When apathy stagnates us, may your challenge renew us. When courage leaves us, may your spirit inspire us. When despair grips us, may your hope restore us. And when death threatens us, may your resurrection light lead us. Amen. Mm-hmm.